Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. And I'm Richard Roper. Mother's Day is approaching. We're going to talk about movies that mom should watch with you and movies you should not watch with your mom. <laughs> Two completely separate yeah. categories right there. <laughs> but it's also the year 2021, thankfully. And that makes this the 25th anniversary of four of the most iconic films of your lifetime. Films that have uh, proved to be generationally popular and also kind of changed the landscape in each of their respective genres, as ah. we like to say on the podcast, the genre. We'll tell you about that in just a second. But first, Roan Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. And since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design and development and e-commerce and mobile apps, digital marketing. It all drives your overall business success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. Just recently happened upon Happy Gilmore for the first time in, as it turns out, 25 years since I saw it. And I remember 25 years ago as a lifelong golfer thinking, eh, I don't know if I really love that movie. <laughs> Caddyshack, I absolutely adored. But Happy Gilmore, it just seemed like it was, you know, it, just such a development project for a young Adam Sandler. And oh, it's hockey and it's yeah. golf and it's whatever it is. Now, 25 years later, that movie has aged better than most of the comedies from that era. That's interesting you say that. I was going to ask you that because you are a big golfer, and I know what a special place Caddyshack has in your heart, in the hearts of almost every professional and amateur and, you know, wannabe golfer of all time. And Every line in that movie is quotable exactly. on a putting green by somebody, including the pros. You'll sometimes hear them do it to each other in a major tournament. And we're friends with the entire Murray uh, dynasty. There are a lot of them, yeah. and some of them are, are operating uh, Caddyshack-themed restaurants, that are, you know, they're not I a lot believe of movies. Some of them are not actually relatives. Well, I don't know. When you when you sit and talk with them, there's always a little bit of Billy in, in <laughs> all of them. Uh, but there are very few films that 40 years down the road would be able to inspire theme restaurants, right? right? And have people quoting them. But I think Happy Gilmore has a similar place of endearment for a next generation. And we've seen, you know, some professional golfers who will do the Happy Gilmore thing with the run up, you know, the three step run up and whacking the ball and quoting some of the some of the lines from Happy Gilmore. It's interesting when you go back because I did I did the same thing, Ro. I was not a huge fan of those first Adam Sandler comedies. I understood why Billy Madison was a hit. But Happy Gilmore actually does have the kind of the traditional plot. Grandma's going to lose her house and mm -hmm. Happy's got to save the day and make this money. And Shooter McGavin, played by the great Christopher McDonald, is yeah. a classic villain, just like Don Johnson was in Tin Cup, and you know, and Ted Knight was in Caddyshack. You have to have that adversary. The Bob Barker fight scene is fucking hilarious. There's a story about that that Bob Barker was supposed to have a stuntman mm -hmm. do that fight scene, and Bob said. <laughs> I know how to fight. And Bob <laughs> Barker, as a guy who was in his 70s at the time of the shooting of Amazing. that film, actually grappled with Adam Sandler. And I do like, love the fact that Adam Sandler definitely has this love and respect and embrace for popular culture. So the Carl Weathers character, who's got the worst <laughs> prosthetic wooden arm in the history of movies, that's a nod to the fact that he played a character who lost his arm in Predator. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's an inside joke. Oh, and, and there's an unspeakable moment. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I won't do it because people may not have seen this movie. 
It's crazy how how non-formulaic that movie actually was so because of what they do with the Carl Weathers character. Yeah, and then you got Vern Lundquist, you know, the you know the august esteemed announcer playing it straight as the announcer, so it gives it that sort of strange credibility. When right? Vern Lundquist retired from CBS Sports within the last two years. Mm. They kept running his work from Happy Gilmore. I'm thinking Vern Lundquist has called every sport imaginable. So to think that Vern Lundquist's greatest moments ever were as the announcer in Happy Gilmore, it's a little weird. Well, again, you know, we're, we're dropping references, but uh, too bad. That's why we hope you love screen time. We're both longtime friends with Brent Musburger. We know his, his brother, the great agent, Todd Musburger, and his son, Brian. But Brent, who has been the voice of so many legendary broadcasts spanning some 50 years, and to this day is still working as the voice of the Las Vegas Raiders just because he loves doing it so much, will tell you that, especially with younger generations his role as brett Mustangberger in the cars movies the pixar <laughs> movies he voices those characters true. makes him cool and and you know another thing we got to go back to the casting julie bowen who went on to great fame on modern family right as claire dunphy and i do the math and i'm like well she must have been 18 you know, the yeah. classic all-american sweetheart who becomes happy gilmore's love interest so it's basically a demented rocky is what we're watching yeah. with happy gilmore yeah. adam sandler did this throughout his career continues to do this role he gets the rights to like all these great songs. So, uh, Tuesday's Gone by Leonard Skinner, which is one of the great power ballads. This beautiful, mournful, epic song is like the theme for <laughs> Happy Gilmore. They never really address that. It just sounds great on the soundtrack. I got to say, it has one of the best soundtracks of any movie from that era. It's a lot of 70s hits, but it's amazingly good. And I thought to myself, boy, the economics of this movie, because they weren't paying Adam Sandler a whole lot of money at that point, yeah. or Carl Weathers or anybody, or Julie Bowen. <laughs> the fact that they spent all the money on the soundtrack tells you that that's where they thought they were going to make their money back. Well, and it did make a lot of money, and I'm going to drop one more name. I am dropping names more regularly and faster than an NHL ref during a shootout. I'm <laughs> dropping them like hockey pucks. But Dennis DeYoung of Sticks fame mm -hmm. uh, to this day will tell you that he loves Adam Sandler because Adam Sandler has used the music of Dennis DeYoung and Sticks in a number of his movies. And there's nothing better for a rock star of a certain era to go down to the mailbox and a big fat <laughs> check from Happy Madison Productions comes tumbling out. Dennis Dugan was the director. But here's another thing I love about Adam Sandler. He got this movie because Billy Madison had done very well. So he had the clout to choose his director. Dennis Dugan walked in and not exactly the most esteemed director. He was also a character director. He's the tour director in this movie itself. Mm -hmm. And Adam Sandler said, that guy wanted to cast me in a movie before I did anything even on SNL. He can direct this movie. He was always loyal and remains loyal to, to the people day. who are loyal to him. Yeah. And he's one of the most successful guys in Hollywood in the last thirty years. So you gotta gotta give him and his I, props. I'll say I'll say this too, Ro. Uh, you know, people who work on the movies with him, and you mentioned. I mean, to this day, you know, whether it's David Spade or Chris Rock, who doesn't need the handout neither. There's Spade, but all the people that he's worked with continue to do movies with him. And Adam Sandler was the one who, about three years ago, said, "I'm going to sign a multi-picture deal with Netflix." And people are like, "Oh, I guess you're just giving up on your movie career." And of course, those movies have been insanely, immensely popular. And have made tens of millions of dollars for Adam and for Netflix. And he also gets to do projects that are a little more thoughtful than yeah. some of the popcorn fare that it's he's true. been doing earlier. Uncut Gems yep. is not just a great film. It is 
a tour de force performance by Adam Sandler in a dramatic role. And you've seen him yeah. do this before. Yeah, right? we have all the way back to some films like uh, Spanglish and Punch Drunk Love. He should have been nominated for an Academy Award. The only reason he wasn't is because he's Adam Sandler. And not enough Academy members could get over that. I guarantee you that. If nobody had ever seen him or if he had been known as some sort of stage actor, he's nominated for sure for Uncut Gems. I would not have believed 25 years ago today when I saw Happy Gilmore that I'd be saying this 25 years from now. Yeah. But thank you, Adam Sandler, yeah. for Happy Gilmore. Here's another guy who's kind of done okay. Yeah. Tommy Cruise in that Mission Impossible, the original Mission Impossible, which I did not understand when I saw it, yeah. and still to this day do not, 25 years ago this summer. <laughs> Same thing, Ro. And I actually went back and watched the entire film because I recalled that Mission Impossible, when it came out in 1996, Tom Cruise was Ethan Hunt. They had characters who actually were based, some of the characters, John Voight playing uh, Mr. Phelps, they were based on the actual TV series characters. They even had the Mission Impossible theme, the classic theme, but it's very much associated with the 1960s and 70s television show and that whole, your mission, if you should choose to accept it, and the tape would self-destruct. All of that stuff was in this. And then it just became a Brian De Palma film. And like many of his films, I have no friggin' idea what's happening. And I rewatched it knowing what was going to happen and how it was going to be laid out. And there's double crossing and triple crossing and right. double agents. And they even used the hokey technique, even for the 1990s, of the rubber mask where someone, you know, you think it's someone and they pull back the rubber mask and we realize <laughs> it's actually someone else. And I, it, I don't think it's a great film. There's some great action sequences using what they call practical effects, not a lot of special effects. Everybody remembers the scene where, where Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise's character, is being lowered by the wires, remember? And he's like an inch off the ground to hack the computer. And if one droplet of sweat hits the floor, the whole thing's going to go up in smoke. And it's funny watching all the phones and, you know, they're like, can anybody trace this? No, you could be 10 <laughs> miles away and no one will find you, Ethan. It doesn't make any sense. When I saw that movie, I did not think this is the beginning of an incredible franchise. I think it's one of the few franchises that got better with every film. John That's Woo true. did a film. And the last, the most recent one, not the last one because there's going to be more, but Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol from a couple of years ago is not only the best Mission Impossible movie by far in the series, it's one of the best action movies I've ever seen. It's the moment where Tom Cruise solidifies his standing basically as the American James Bond. That's what these films would become. Yeah, Gritty, right. dark, clever, well-acted international thrillers. It's a great film. All right. Two other films celebrating their 25th anniversary, Twister, yeah. which changed my entire outlook <laughs> on eating cow. I thought it was going to be the big screen adaptation of the board game. You know, they've done that before, and it was going to be Twister, and it was going to be, you know, like Bob and Carol and Ted Nash, except for, you know, you've got to put your left foot here and your right foot there. But no, it was a tornado, a storm chasing movie yeah. before storm chasing became such a huge thing that we'd see TV series and stuff based on it, Row. And, you know, Twister's kind of interesting because, again, obviously there's special effects, but a lot of practical effects. They built the house that would then be destroyed. And,. It's a classic monster movie, except for the monsters are tornadoes. And you've got the late, great Bill Paxton. Yeah. And God love her, Jamie Gertz, because she she has to play, you know, the, the the girlfriend in the heels in the dress who doesn't understand the, the storm-chasing lifestyle. Now, spoiler alert, she's done okay because she married the owner of the Atlanta Hawks. They co-own the team together. Hmm. You see Jamie Gertz on NBA Draft Day now. That's the trivia question. People say, who's the wealthiest actress in Hollywood? It's Jamie Gertz. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> She's the winner. And she did a great job playing the comedic foil, but then Helen Hunt, of course, was the real love yeah. interest who mm-hmm. also loved storm chasing. And that's really what the movie was about, all these contraptions and stuff. And they filmed most of that in Iowa, and people go on Twister Tours. You can go on oh. Twister Tours and see some of the locations. It is a really good thriller. You know, uh, it is kind well of done. ushered in that next level of giant thriller. And I made a terrible mistake. I took my daughter to see it oh at a tender age. <laughs> And we uh, spent a lot of time. We were, you know, Midwesterners, and yeah. members of our family oh, had a God. farm uh, that uh, we would go yeah. down to on weekends. And uh, she never, ever, 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 ever wanted to go to that farm oh, ever again my. after seeing that movie. And to this day, twenty-five years later, you can't drag her uh, outside of a major metropolitan area. Wow, geez, why didn't you just take her to Jaws and call it a double feature? And I t- did and throw her in the water. I did. Jeez. I showed her that when she was a little kid as well. But you know, it was an older movie, and and it wasn't quite as scary because you don't see the shark for so long. Oh man! And the one other cool thing about Twister is it became the first major motion picture to be available. On DVD, a year later in 1997, when the DVD was coming in and pushing aside the VHS, that's when you knew DVD was a real shit because it was like, they got Twister on DVD. Wait till you see this. The storm will come right into your living room and frighten Rose's daughter all over again. (laughs) Even though you're watching it on a square TV. Yeah. Okay, I get it. That's all fine. (laughs) And finally, Independence Day celebrates its 25-year anniversary. Yeah, and I would say out of all of these films, Independence Day probably has the biggest influence in terms of the business of show, in terms of the summer blockbuster. And we mentioned just briefly Jaws, which of course in in 1975 was among probably the first big giant summer blockbuster event film. Because it actually played the entire next summer as well. Exactly. And, and, you know, it was an event movie which opened like on 500 screens at a time when movies, just a few years earlier, The Godfather opened on five screens when it made its debut. And that kind of ushered in the era of a nationwide push and national ad campaigns on TV. Even during uh, Vern Lundquist's golf tournaments, you might see that. There's your callback. Uh, But... With Independence Day, that was the advent of that 4th of July tentpole franchise blockbuster and also uh, more of a special effects driven than than Twister. Again, obviously, Twister, they, they did not actually hire any actual tornadoes to play themselves. They had to do that with special but effects. Did they hire aliens? But, or- yeah, well, but, 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 but in Twister, you know, you can read about the making of, and for example, like when, when a house is destroyed, they wired the house so that the picket fence would shake and the boards would fall apart and everything. They didn't have to do CGI. And obviously, with Independence Day, there's tons of CGI. Although, when you go back and look at it, even for 1996... It ain't the greatest special effects movie of that's, all time. You can almost true. see Jeff Goldblum and Judd Hirsch and Will Smith looking off in the wrong direction. Like, no, 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 there's the, the aliens over there. And then the actual aliens sometimes were actors, you know, depending on the situation. And it's incredibly corny, incredibly cheesy, and really dumb. And that's exactly what it was supposed to be. But I thought the character development, honest to God, you're going to laugh at me for this. Yes, I, I am. The, I thought the character development in that film was actually pretty good. That's why oh. I watch that film over and over and over again. I fall for Will Smith in it because he's you know, the Fresh Prince in a fighter jet fighting aliens. But you have Judd Hirsch, and you do have- Oh, God, Judd Hirsch. I mean, I God. love him to death. That was some of the worst overacting of all time as the- Although- What listen, is it, kvetching or cavelling or whatever hey, father both. of, of Jeff Goldblum, who all of a sudden- is on Air Force One 
And and you know, and I listen. Love- every Jewish family knows that guy. He wasn't <laughs> overacting. There's a guy he was who, right. There's a guy who at the high holidays makes exactly those same noises and okay. makes the exact same complaints. All right. Oh, so you're Mr. President now. You're so important. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we didn't realize that when Randy Quaid played the conspiracy theorist yeah. pilot who claimed he had been kidnapped by aliens, we didn't realize that he had to tell himself to tamper down his real-life personality. I think that movie actually turned him into the I, nutball even, he became. Seriously, I mean, it's not its not even funny because he's got some serious problems, I think. But it's like we now realize that the, the characters of Cousin Eddie from the National <laughs> Lampoon movies and this the crazy you know barnstorming pilot – were actually saner and more in the mainstream than the real-life Randy Quaid. You know, it is possible that Randy Quaid actually does have that metal plate in his head, and every time he turns on the microwave, he gets crazier. Oh it gosh. is possible, and pees Amazing. himself. All right, Happy birthday to all four of those tentpole movies. All right, we will come right back. And do, we're not going anywhere. It's a podcast, but let us tell you this <laughs> first. Portillo's is known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest tastiest ingredients right down to their poppy seed bun and of course a legendary chocolate cake hey for mother's day that's a very good play right there is to go get the chocolate cake from portillo's if you live in any of the areas where portillo's exists throughout the midwest florida california arizona or if you're listening to this on thursday as we begged you to do (laughs) you can actually order it and get it in time for Mother's Day. Nice. Go to Portillo's.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S. Portillo's.com. Get the chocolate cake for mom. If you live in the Midwest, you live somewhere where it's going to be close and you can stop by a Portillo's, there's... Mom would love Portillo's. Everybody loves Portillo's. Get her the beef. Hot, wet, sweet, and dry. <laughs> Whatever they do. There you go. There you go. All right. It is Mother's Day. We thought we would do the Thursday 3 and the What Not to Watch all at one time here sure. with Mother's Day films. So let's start with movies you should not watch with your mother. Yeah. And I would, I would say... These are, in most cases, these are films that are worth seeing, but there are certain times to see them and certain times not to see mm-hmm. them. And I want to start off with a, a memorable movie mom who's a momster, if you will, mm-hmm. and that is Mary Tyler Moore in Ordinary People, which won the best picture in 1980. And we, you know, we're going back and talking about classic films. And to this day, people talk about, okay, you know, Ordinary People beat out Raging Bull for best picture, but... Robert Redford directed it. Robert Redford directed it. And, you know, it's not the fault of the movie that it got the most votes. It it is a strong film. It's a tough film to watch. It's set in the wealthy suburbs of Chicago, and there's a family. uh, Mary Tyler Moore is the mother, the matriarch. uh, Donald Sutherland is the father. One son has died, and Timothy Hutton, in his debut, plays the son who is suicidal and going through a lot of problems. And Mary Tyler Moore's mom, and this is, again, Almost everything Mary Tyler Moore had done up to 1980 was Miss America, America's sweetheart, sunny, lovable mare. In the different Mary Tyler Moore shows, even in the movies, she was the nun who wouldn't give in to temptation, even though Elvis was in the movie with her. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the most likable, sweetest persona of the generation, and now she's playing this ice cold matriarch i mean she is not a good mom she thinks she is but she's much more concerned about 
reputation and dignity and what she thinks, uh, you know, what the image should be than loving her son. It's a great portrayal, but not a Mother's Day movie. If you watch that with mom, she's going to say, really? That's how you feel? <laughs> All right. But there's one for you. What's you wanna, next? You want another one? Okay, yeah. now here's one. Again. One of her most likable actresses all the way up until recent times where she kept sweeping the awards for Schitt's Creek. I speak, of course, of the legendary Catherine O'Hara, who is the mom in Home Alone. Now, I love Catherine O'Hara. And the great thing about her is we kind of feel for her even after she leaves behind Kevin in Home Alone, especially because she's the one who will do anything to get back to her son. Remember, she t- hitches a ride, ends up on, right. on a on a truck with John Candy and his band and everything. But, you know, we had Home Alone too, <laughs> Lost in New York. Are you kidding me? I, you know, that is not a she good She would blame the dad, mom, but, I think. Well, you know, co-parenting. But yeah. So that's my second movie, Mom, where even though I love her to death, you know, I know you had a lot of kids. That was your choice. And you were a great mom to most of them. But you, you got to be able to do the the, the count I of the kids. I kind of think she's a Pinot Grigio mom. You know, <laughs> it's, we all know Early, them now, yeah. right? That it's like they it's it's wine o'clock at about 3 oh, o'clock. They pick up the kids. They have them play in the yards with sharp implements. And then they go, hey. Uh, yeah, go up and do your homework, and then the moms all sit around and stand around a, a stand-up kitchen. Maybe so. And, and, and those moms occasionally will be like, okay, I know that's yours. Where Now, where's Trevor? <laughs> uh, he's here somewhere. My final uh, movie mom, and again, people get a big kick out of her, but you know, you want to talk about a terrible movie mom, bro. Uh-huh. Stifler's mom in America. Oh, Bye. man. I mean, mom! Oh, I'm just, I'll just leave it at that. Come on. I mean, when you're known, that's your character's name, Stifler's mom. All right, well, I'll, I'll follow Those that. are my horrible movie moms for you. All right, I'm going to start with a similar theme, The Graduate. Oh, wow. Right? You got to think about that hmm. as a mom who is seducing her daughter's boyfriend. I hadn't thought about it that way. That has got to be the absolute... Worst movie mom of all time. Mrs. Robinson. She is such a great character. She's got a song. She's yeah. got a whole thing. Here's to she, you. Yeah, oh, my gosh. It is, that you're is. You're right about it. And Bancroft, what a brilliant actress, too. Oh, she and, totally and sold right. that. And she was so young when she actually shot that I film. She was three years older than, than Dustin Hoffman, right? Yeah. But you're right. I mean, that is probably, in some ways, the most fascinating character. I mean, she's clearly a, a woman who's got psychological problems and is, is suffering from depression. And there's a lot going on there that's separate from the Benjamin story. But even after she realizes that her daughter genuinely cares for this guy. So even then, she could have backed off and said, all right, you know what? No one's ever going to know that I seduced him. Right. No, 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 no. She wants to still F with everyone. I hadn't thought about her, but yeah, Mrs. Robinson. In the documentary category, Grey Gardens, oh, which gosh. is yeah. that documentary. Jeez. You can go and you can watch that, and that's a mom and the daughter in this crazy codependency. It's been satirized by some of the best comic minds of the last <laughs> quarter century. But I don't even suggest people go watch it. It's one of those things that if you go to film school, you have to see Grey Gardens. Yeah. It's a brilliant, brilliant film, but man, you're giving me the chills because when you see what she does, you're making my movie moms actually seem like PTA moms of the year compared to these yeah. two. Well, there's a lot going on inside my brain. Okay. And then finally, Psycho, because you oh, have yeah. a mom right there yeah. who's still terrorizing her son years after she's dead. 
That's true. Because you say, well, who played the mom in Psycho? Well, <laughs> Anthony Perkins, basically. So, but still a character that had so much. Uh, oh, God. That's true, man. The repercussions yeah. from mom. Ooh, there you go. Mother. All right. The best moms. All right. I got some good ones here. Now, this is another mom that some people can say, well, you know, maybe not the most attentive mom, but I think she's one of the coolest movie moms of all time. I speak of Cindy Pickett in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh. Nine times. She can't believe her precious boy was absent nine times. And she does love her precious son. Yes, she's got a big blind spot to all of his shenanigans and tomfoolery. But mm-hmm. I just love her. I love Ferris Bueller's mom. A more, much more serious uh, portrayal of motherhood and a performance that won an Academy Award and deservedly so, Patricia Arquette in Boyhood. Yeah. Richard Linklater's brilliant film that was actually filmed over the course of an entire generation, like 12 years where they reconvene every year. So the actual characters aged with you know the boy himself. But she plays a mom who just loves her son and has been through so much and continues to go through so much because of the nature of the material. And Patricia Arquette had been on the cusp of stardom ever since True Romance in right. 1994 and had done some great performances. But this was the thing that catapulted her to the next level. And then I'm going to give you one who is one of the most fiercely protective moms in a good way of all time, Joe Beth Williams in Poltergeist. And if you go back, first of all, that movie, you want to talk about a movie that will scare the shit out of not just kids, but everybody. (laughs) That is a movie that recognized before almost it or anything else the power of a clown toy under the bed or across the bedroom (laughs) and the scariness of that and all the stuff of, you know, they're here and the catchphrases and everything. But the things she'll do, that mom will do, to protect her youngest child from the ghost. She don't give a shit who's coming through the TV or through the walls. She is not going to give up. Joe Beth Williams, Poltergeist. Okay, well, then the mom from Close Encounters would be a very close Ah, second who travels across the country and perhaps into the universe to chase her lost son from one of the early scenes of... What is Steven Spielberg's arguably greatest adventure film? Oh, God, what a beautiful film. And, yeah, glorious film. We've talked, you know, previously about films from a certain era that meld special effects with wonder and practical effects. But I'd forgotten about that, about... What a protective, uh, fiercely protective yeah. mother we have. In yeah, that I mean, she climbed yeah. a mountain. There were all kinds yeah. of crap happened in that movie. She even had to uh, get interviewed by a guy who spoke only French. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mildred Pierce. Now, now we could either do this Mildred Pierce, the film from the 1940s, or yeah. we could do Mildred Pierce, the television series. Okay. It doesn't matter. The character of Mildred Pierce yeah. is a long-suffering mom who believes her asshole daughter Every step of the way. That was the working shouldn't. title for that film, <laughs> but they couldn't get it past standards and practices. That's a great choice as well. And finally, the greatest mom of all time in cinema history, Princess Leia. Oh, what? From Star Wars Wait, 7, what? 8, and 9, because she really wants to bring oh. the dark side back into the house. Wow. All right. Now, we did not share our choices. Here's what I thought. And first of all, that's a brilliant choice. I love that. Princess Leia. Love Carrie Fisher. I thought until the moment you said that, and I I have to take, you know, one extra pick here. I thought for sure you were going to say 
Donna Reed in It's a Wonderful Life as Mary Bailey. And I, I even though we already made our picks, we got to get her in there because, you know, first of all, George, talk about, you know, all into himself when things go a little sideways at the bank. All of a sudden, he's getting into brawls and bars and crashing his car into the tree. And she even says, George, why must you torture the children? So, But she really yeah. is. I mean, all kidding aside, I love that movie, but... You know, all those kids. All right, so Mary Bailey. Mary Bailey's in the Hall of Fame as well. She, okay. All of these other moms get the Mary Bailey Award. Yeah. That's, that's how yeah, we do okay, it. Okay, there you go. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> all those, Mary, don't you know me? Uh, but I'll be honest Mary. with you. I mean, Zuzu came home with a fever and nobody cared. <laughs> well, listen. <laughs> Mary. Uh, oh, man. Don't see any of these movies with your mother. It's Mother's Day. Yeah. Enjoy her and get the chocolate cake from Portillo's. And listen to the podcast instead of watching a whole movie. That's more fun. The Rowan Rover Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com, full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Our executive producers are Tim Alanius and Renee Nelson. Brian Altimer is our music and production director and actually composed and played this music himself. We'll see you next time.